Hello, and welcome to the Caregiver Stories podcast, where we discuss all types of dementia and hopefully share some caregiver stories along the way. My name is Kimberly Scott, and I'm a part-time caregiver to my mother, who at the age of 65 was diagnosed with early onset dementia. In 2019, I started Caregiver Stories to educate, build awareness, and because I want to get people talking and having a tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed, then what? Do you have a plan? I wish my mom and I had had that tough conversation before she was diagnosed. If you want to share your story or have knowledge about dementia and want to be a guest on Caregiver Stories podcast, visit thatkimberly.com to sign up to be a guest. And while you're there, you can also pick which platform you prefer to listen to the podcast on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Anchor, YouTube, SoundCloud, Alexa, and all those great places. My guest today is Laura Hunter. Hi, Laura. How are you doing? Hi there, Kimberly. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the time to share my story with you and the family story as well. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and also allowing me to ask you these questions and for you to share your story with us. So give the listeners a little bit of background about who you are and what led you to have the experience you have with dementia. Absolutely. So I'm a granddaughter of a patient who had dementia and over 20 something years, you know, the family had experience caring for her. Her name was Gloria. Mm -hmm. She since has passed on earlier this year in 2019. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. And early on when I became an adult for a short period of time, I actually worked as a recreation therapy aide and a physical therapy aide before moving into the real estate industry. And that experience of having exposure working in dementia and memory care unit, even though it was for a short period of time, it was really beneficial to helping my dad, especially and understanding some of what was going on with my grandmother. Once they had relocated her and my grandfather from Florida to Tennessee. And so born out of that, being there not in the state, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that are in that same situation that maybe they are not the sole caregiver, but they're the family that is equally invested in what's going on with their loved one. And that of course creates you know, your own set of emotions and sometimes feeling guilt that you're not the one that's there that can help day to day. And the questions and the complexities that go along with having that loved one. And when you go to visit, seeing the decline, that may be the person that's the direct caregiver doesn't see on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, And so my dad, he doesn't use what I call the internets. (laughs) The www dot. (laughs) I actually helped him on his cell phone get his first email address last night. So he's, he's like, yeah, he's doing fantastic with that. But I wanted to also share a little insight as to what he personally experienced as well. Just for the context, first, when was your grandmother diagnosed and how long from then, how long before did they share that or did she share that news with you? I think it was really about 20 something years ago when she was living in the Tampa Bay area in Florida that we started to see some evidence of it. I don't know that she was formally diagnosed at that stage though, but she certainly was forgetting things. We could tell in our phone conversations with her that there was that onset, you know, that had started. It wasn't until 
she relocated with my grandfather to East Tennessee, and that was in the early 2000s that we really started to see it intensify. Okay. And whether or not that was something that would have occurred anyway, or in some regard, she wasn't in her normal routine. It's hard to say. We knew that they both, because of health issues, my grandfather had needed the care. They needed to be close to one of the adult sons or somebody that was in the family that could look in over them day to day. Yeah. But certainly that was a big change for her. And, you know, she was a little bit more socially she didn't have her social circles like she did mm-hmm. in Tampa. A lot of things changed with the family dynamics of people moving out of the area too. Yeah. But that certainly where we saw the major decline was a car accident that they were in. Oh. And so my grandfather was driving and it was in some regards, we think like the impact did something. And, you know, speaking with my dad, he said, It was once they came out of the nursing facility rehab center, it was just almost immediate that there was a significant decline in her memory and in her activities, performing her daily activities or the desire to. Uh Uh, And it's interesting how trauma sometimes can play a role in that. And I don't understand it from a clinician standpoint, but from a family member standpoint, I definitely saw the connection to trauma with that next layer of what we saw as a decline in her condition. And the doctors never said anything to your father about, you know, be aware of X, Y, and Z. This could, you know, impact or some of her injuries could also have a delayed effect of whatever. Like nobody even brought that up. Well, I don't know if that's the case or not. I just know that after the car accident, when she was hospitalized, there was probably a lot of confusion over at that point in time. But there was an event that I thought was important. She was out driving one day, and this had never occurred before, out running errands, just like we all do. And she called my dad, and she had actually forgotten where she was. She called him crying. Ugh. And she had gotten lost. And I talk with a lot of friends of mine or colleagues that have been in a similar situation that, you know, they, the memory is there enough to know the people around them and things like that. But the forgetfulness of your surroundings, yeah, where you are, or I'm in the car driving and where was it that I was supposed to go or how do I get back home? Yeah. And that was really a shifting point where we're like, okay, something has got to be done. This is really, really getting concerning. Yeah. That when everybody came together as a family, would you say, and was she okay with that? Well, I think that there was some hesitancy there. I think, you know, someone losing their independence, I think is a substantial conversation to have, and it doesn't happen overnight for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But in time, you know, there was a decline in really the desire to cook and other things. And you, you just see that occurring. We had some situations where it's almost like she didn't have a self-awareness of her own comfort. Like if the house was really hot, she would be roasting on the couch with a blanket over her sweating. Yeah. And so there was some signals there. And, And I say my short time working with memory care, working as an aide, and it was just a blip on the radar, but it gave me enough exposure to realize that when you have a loved one that has 
a routine. There are specific things they do every day. Mm-hmm. Someone who really is, think, takes self-care as being important. You know, they're always, they got the rouge on their cheeks and the lipstick yeah. when the hair is done or they go yeah. for their morning walk and you start to see that's tapering off. Yeah, uh, It's something to pay attention to because I did see that connection to doing her act activities of daily living and her, you know, regular routine was starting to decline as well. Not just the actual memory and what we were experiencing in the conversations we were having, having with her. Yeah. When they don't have the luster, my mom is physically very active and plays tennis and she just doesn't have any short-term memory, but I make sure that her caregiver knows that even when she doesn't want to go to tennis, she's got to get up and go because that is what's keeping her from declining more. You know, her memory is not going to come back. And even the medication that she takes is not going to bring her, it's just going to stabilize, but it's our physical activities and our purpose day to day that keeps them somewhat coherent or even just a little, little bit of memory you have left. I found that. Absolutely. And that's one, one credit to, you know, when I was working in the memory care unit, there was structure to the day and that was for reason, you know, and and reading the newspaper to them or the different activities, there was routine to the day. And I think that that is beneficial, which then is the complexity of being a caregiver or loved one and building in the time to be able to do that when you don't have any kind of nursing or care support. That's where it can be a little bit of a struggle because, you know, dad would sometimes take breaks from jobs and between jobs, he's a contractor. Mm-hmm. He would want to make sure, okay, did they eat? Did they yeah. take the medicine? Did they kick the air conditioner on? Because at that point in time, my grandfather was still alive. He passed away first. And so he had different set of health issues. And so you want to make sure that they were following with their routine. Did they get up and actually get dressed for the day and moving around? And, you know, it's a lot. There's a lot involved and it's tiring at times. And so as a caregiver, pacing yourself and recognizing when you could benefit from some support or getting other loved ones or people that care about that family member to help with the timetables when you're in that in-between point where you know they need some assistance, but it's not quite to that point where there's maybe nursing care involved or another person involved. I think that's so important because it will wear you down. Oh yeah, definitely. So was it your dad and his siblings? Like how many people? My dad and my mom lived there in Tennessee. So they were the ones that were primarily physically involved day to day, but his two brothers that live in other states, my uncles definitely provided a lot of this extra support care and Mm -hmm. they flew in or drove in as much as they could Yeah, to be able to provide some relief and to spend some time with her as well. And then my uncle was one that was very involved with more so talking with nursing staff and any of the financial side of what needed to be coordinated for her care. Because towards the end, she was in more of a memory care unit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So doctor's appointments and things like that, things still needed to be arranged. Yeah. Because it's not like a, a hundred percent service provided type of environment, but they did provide a lot of support there. And the nursing staff was fantastic and being able to work with her. Yeah, it is as I have embarked on having these conversations with caregivers and some people with dementia as well, actually. So they all speak the same that, you know, it's a 
full-time job and you know, if you don't have some sort of other support from other siblings or family members, then find that other support any way you can through organizations, through your church, your friends, you know, because if you don't have, you know, like you said, you were talking about health, finances, everything, like it is an overwhelming job to juggle someone else's life at the same time while you're juggling. There is. And her church was wonderful about coming by. And Mm -hmm. so there was, fortunately, she had, after moving to Tennessee, she had plugged into one and she went regularly and this was a big part of her life. And so they're stopping by. That was something that though she didn't know that they were coming or realize at one point, the routine and the process of that, she you know, still, it's amazing what people do remember. That's one thing that I, I just have gotten out of it is the things that she wouldn't remember were so substantial, but she certainly could recite things and she remembered, you know, songs and hymns and different things that you would not think were in her memory anymore. Yeah. Yeah. The places that, that they do tap into is quite remarkable. My mom shocks me every visit when I go home on something different when she hides things and can't find them but then she can remember just a random conversation or person or thought of just I'm like wow where'd that come from and why did you remember that you know type of thing so it is it's remarkable what is some advice that you would give to someone as you know a new caregiver you know unconventional or not. And this was something I've seen received with a mixed bag review, so to speak. This is one thing I think is important. And then I'll go into the advice that we were told that was beneficial to us is really bond and find other caregivers for support. Because people that have not been through caring for someone with dementia, there's just some things that we do to cope that someone might not understand if they've not been through it. And so this is one thing I experienced when I worked in memory care unit, but the nurses reinforced this when we were working with my grandmother was, you know, we're going to get a lot of repetitive questions. Mm -hmm. And there comes that decline where she'll forget, she would forget two minutes ago that she had asked, what are we eating for lunch or what, you know, whatever. just get stuck on this question or ask questions. This is a big one that I think comes up with aged relatives is where the spouse is Mm -hmm. and the spouse is already deceased. Uh. How do you handle that? Because If you say, well, mom, you know, he passed away two years ago, that's like putting her through that trauma over and over again. So we can't be in a situation where we're going to put her through that emotional trauma every five minutes Mm -hmm. or the duration of four hours that we're with her. And, you know, the nurses made the recommendation is it's okay. It's okay to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And to say, you know, he stepped out or he's away and, and you think, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm lying to this person. How can yeah. I do this? But it is a coping strategy. And we kept humor and we're a large Italian family and humor is second nature to us. So we kept humor, humor. <laughs> we kept humor and humor is really, it's such a good prescription for the caregivers as well. Absolutely. And to say, oh, you know how she calls them Tootsie Roll, my poppy. And you know, Tootsie Roll, he's out doing da, 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 whatever he's doing and make her laugh a little bit. And yeah. 
it was a relief in the room because if you can imagine, I can't getting <laughs> I that question asked yeah. over and over and over and over again, it can really, really drain you fast. And oh, if absolutely. you were that person that you're answering it authentically, you know, dad died two years ago over yeah. and over again, you have to see that look on their face of yeah. trying to process that and comprehend that, mm -hmm. you know, you just, you can't do that to yourself yeah. and you can't do that to them. So that, that is advice that as a family we would share is give yourself permission to know it's okay to do that and, you know, consult with the nursing staff or other providers involved in their care of, of what's best for their situation. But for ours, that was the best way of handling it. Cause we ended up working with her for years before she passed away. Yeah. And I just couldn't imagine my dad, particularly every time he went there, yeah. if he had to do that, just the stress and strain that I saw in him when I would go to visit or in conversations we had on the phone, it just, it put him through so much. And for him to have had that conversation with her over and over again would have made it so much worse. Yeah. So much more I, difficult. I do not look forward to the day that I have to, we joke that my mom's two dogs are more important than to anybody else. Like that's her number one, you know, importance is her dogs. And I don't look forward to the day that I would have to explain to her that her dogs have passed because they are getting older as well, or my stepdad for that matter, if because he's older than she is, if that day comes that he goes before her, that I have to, I even asked her, I said, mom, do you want me to tell you that maybe, you know, Jewel broke up with you or divorced you or, you know, making a joke out of it? Right. Or would you rather know that, you know, he's no longer here? Like her answer changes, you know, but at the same time, it's going to depend on in the moment, I feel like what I will decide to tell her at that time, because I don't want to see the, the look of sadness on her face over and over and over again. When she asks that question, you have to answer that question over and over again. Well, and also the day that you realize the person doesn't remember who you are. Right. And that was probably for me. Did that happen to you? Yes, it happened to me. And I think, you know, not living there and being there consistently because I'm not able to. Yeah, absolutely. That was really such a hard thing. I would encourage folks. One thing I wish I could do over uh -huh. is that I wish that I would have still called her more frequently than I did. Mm -hmm. I think that it was just so gutting for me to know I was having a conversation with her and she didn't remember who I was. Yeah. And I did my best to have a little routine because for years when I would call and she'd pick up the phone and I'd say, it's Laura. She would, you know, kind of do the sing song voice. Oh, Pete, it's our granddaughter. And she would do this. This was our routine. Mm -hmm. And the first time I called her and I could tell she was struggling to figure out who was Laura. Mm -hmm. It was just, wow. There's no way to prepare for that. Yeah. I would, I would tell caregivers, my mom, I think there was some confusion on who she was from time to time, but sometimes she would remember and, you know, or she would go along with it. If you were in person, she would go along like she knew who you were. Yeah. She really didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. We went out to dinner one time and this was so cute that she, the way she said it, and she was a little Italian lady, about four foot nine or so. She was very, very short stature standing next to the waiter. And she says, are you one of mine? So she was asking. <laughs> 
<laughs> the waitress was part of our family and it was cute that she did it in a way she recognized that she really didn't know who yeah. was around her. She assumed that, you know, everybody that was around her that's smiling and hugging her was part of her family. Yeah. Um, and so, but that is one thing you just, you really can't prepare yourself for, but you know, my hope would be that others don't go through that. I know it's not realistic and yeah. just push through it. And sometimes prompts help. The boys in the family is um, Peter Michael Matthew. Mm-hmm. And so we would do a little sing song, Peter Michael Matthew, Peter Michael. And she would remember that way. You yeah. know, she knew that those were her three boys. Mm-hmm. And so, but yes. Because of modern technology, I should say, you can get like, I talk to my mom every morning on the Alexa show and, you know, with any phone, if it's not an iPhone to do FaceTime, you can now do, you know, FaceTime or whatever you want to call it. And Android has its own device source to do a video, you know, phone call with someone. And that's what I keep mentioning to people, make sure that you have those conversations on a regular basis with them. And, you know, in between, cause I go there once a month, but every morning I talk to her and her caregiver from the show device, somebody gave me one for my birthday. And then I got another one given to me for volunteering with an organization. So I gave her that one. Cause I was going to go return it. I was like, I don't need two of these. And I was like, wait a minute, I can teach her and I can talk to her through it. And so that's what I started doing probably about five years ago. And that, that's wonderful. I, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Leveraging with the technology, technology is the way to go every day. Yeah. If they have early, some early on. Right. Unfortunately, she was in her nineties at this point yeah. when she passed. And so she really didn't have that learning curve to understand the technology. But if I were someone today and my loved one already was using it and grasping it, I would mm-hmm. absolutely Um, engage in that and utilize that as a tool to be able to stay connected. Yeah. Um, What's something that you want people to know when it comes to dementia? I would say as far as the memory loss increases, make sure that you're paying attention to the safety concerns with it. If they're out driving, if they're cooking, those kinds of things. We think of memory, but we don't always necessarily immediately think to the safety concerns associated with the memory loss. Absolutely. And having a plan in place. I would say today, knowing what occurred with her, if I had a loved one with dementia today, I would make sure there was a locator on their car, Mm -hmm. a locator on their cell phone, (laughs) right? Because if, if, if there was any kind of concern that their memory loss could evolve into their not knowing where they are, mm-hmm. that makes it so much easier. I think of that day that my dad got that call. Unfortunately, they lived in a small town, but what if they didn't? What yeah. if it was where I live in Northeast Florida? And this mm-hmm. is a very large town or large metro area. How would we handle that? Yeah. Trying oh, absolutely. to says I'm in front of the Wawa or, yeah. or whatever the case. Well, there's 50 of them. So yeah. which one, whatever. So I think that having an awareness of the safety concerns and really go into their home with an objective eye yeah. and, and look around to see what are some of the things that might need to be modified that can make things, you know, so much better. They did get to the point where they unplugged the stove and they did supply with you know, helpful foods in the refrigerator and frozen meals. And that was really helpful for my dad as the transition, you mm-hmm. know, as we're kind of declining and evolving mm-hmm. to make them as self-sufficient as possible. 
you know, so they can maintain their independence for as long as possible. Because that's important. Really, right, to eliminate some of the immediate safety concerns that were there. Yeah. And, you know, with memory loss, it's so easy to not get frustrated. But I know my dad would say, too, is, is to, to listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they can sense, of course, as human beings, you know, talking to, to your loved one, if you're getting agitated with them and so do your best to just listen to them. Yes. Even if they're asking questions over and over again, even if there's confusion, just listen as much at times, you know, my dad said, it kind of feels like you're, you're talking to a child that is just a young child and they just talk and they ask, where are we going? Where are we going? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? doing? (laughs) Yeah. comes at you rapid fire at yeah. time, but just listen, just, you know, and, and do your best not to get frustrated. If you find yourself getting frustrated, you take a break from it yeah. um, or a distracting activity of some sort. Make them laugh. Help. Yeah. Make them laugh. Use yeah. the humor like, like we do to, to help with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. To get yes. them off onto maybe another subject, even if it's for a short period of time. For sure. Especially for your own sanity's sake. I constantly tell my family members, like, you know, let's enjoy the time we have with her now and not focus on the things that she can't do and change the subject if it's the best that you can redirect if you have to, because, you know, she's our mother, you know, she raised us and did all these things for us, you know, as we were growing up and now the role has reversed and it's a cycle of life. And this is what we need to do for her, you know, in the last years of her life. This is our labor of love and being grateful for all the things she provided to us. We need to do the same. Absolutely. And there, there's a gentleness, there's an abundance of gratitude that comes from having the opportunity to serve someone that once did the same for you. I spent so many weekends with my grandmother and going to mass and going on errands with her and cooking for me and caring for me and, and her, her sons. And she was kind of that role model and that figure in our family that everybody else's kids were at her house too. So she provided so much support and care for us. So to be able to do that for her towards that last season of her life, I think was a very special thing. And I think we see sometimes those behavioral changes for her. She was a very joyful person with dementia. And I I know because I've experienced it in work that that's not always the case. Sometimes people can be competitive or have different emotional outbursts and things that they cannot control. And that could be very difficult when you find that it's the other end of the spectrum. For her, she she was just very joyful and very sweet and Mm -hmm. would sing and and hum and buzz and dance around. And it was interesting to see. It was almost like an extension of her personality that we've known it to always be. It was just you know, that in her mind, in her world, that's where she was. Mm -hmm. And she spoke a lot about her mom who had passed away when she was younger. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, the things that she would talk about and again, remember. And so we went along with that. Mm -hmm. Anything that gave her some sort of joy as being a topic of discussion, we wanted to be able to explore that conversation with her. Yeah. And it helped a lot. Absolutely. And nobody's dementia is the same and how it progresses or not progresses is different. Nobody's is the same. Everybody's journey is different, but we can take pieces of everybody's experience and apply it somewhere within as things come up or as things progress to think back on and go, hmm, 
okay, maybe I should take a different approach to this for your own sanity and health sake. I definitely agree with, with you on, you know, those aspects of trying to do the best that you can with what you have, you know. What's Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and you find yourself sometimes doing tasks to you that you never imagined that you would be doing for this individual. You know, my dad said it was one thing that was really profound for him was, you know, helping with the cleanliness and yeah. it's kind of that unspoken taboo topic. Nobody wants to talk about the reality that you have to help, you know, someone else bathe or, or clean up. And I would say from a perspective of, of safety is if you know that you're going to be taking care of the person for an extended period of time on your own and going to their home or if they're living in your home, I would definitely invest in getting someone to come and show you the proper way of, you know, yeah. picking up or helping them to get clothes so you can reduce injury to yourself and injury to them. It's kind of things that we don't think about. And also like recognizing how far do you go in the things that you do for them? Yeah. You know, sometimes with dementia patients, you just have to prompt them a little bit and they'll comb their own hair or they'll wash their face. And it's just a prompting. And I think as caregivers and family members, it can be kind of easy or maybe for time's sake, sometimes you just have to, you know, we got to get to a doctor's appointment yeah. and we don't have the time to spare. But if you do, you know, encourage them to do those activities themselves, if you just have to prompt them or get them started or, yeah. you know, kind of put the brush in their hand and they'll know what to do once you get to that point, the toothpaste on the toothbrush, whatever the case may be, encouraging them to do as much as they can for themselves, I think is really important and something to consider. But when that point comes that you know that you're going to be yeah, get trained. Involved with the bathing and restroom, any of those kinds of activities. Yeah making sure you're properly trained, Doing anything right that thing. involves lifting people too, because absolutely, you definitely don't want to injure yourself. You have to take care of yourself first. And isn't that like it is with yeah. anything else? You have to make sure that you are going to be, you know, if dad were to injure his back because he was trying to help my grandmother, he would be out of work plus not able to help her. Yeah, absolutely. So it's important to, to get properly trained and know how to handle those different situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is great advice. I appreciate you saying that because I just read another stat. Katie Kirk had posted a video. It was actually a, a story of a gentleman whose father was a tugboat captain of some sort. And it was a commercial for a product, but it was just so sad. And in the caption, it said 44 million people in the United States are unpaid caregivers. 44 million people go unpaid because those are the people that are taking care of their parents that brought them in because for whatever the reasons are, family members that they're taking care of. I believe that statistic oh too, because it even in happen. my industry, working and coaching and business development for realtors, I have a lot of people that I work with on the business end that have had to take time off of work and their business to do that very thing that you just said yep. and step into a caregiver role. And you're right. There is no compensation for mm -hmm. that. Just the love and care that you put, you pour into that person, but it impacts people financially yes. to, to take time off of work. And dad certainly knows what that's like. He went through that as well. He, there was extra jobs he may not have been able to take on or accomplish because yeah. of the logistics and having the time to be able to provide care for her also, or it's lacking sleep to be able to yeah. do it all. Absolutely. You can't be everything to everyone if you're not, you know, taking care of yourself. And that starts from the very beginning, from the time that you take on the responsibility 
you have to continue to take care of yourself so you can take care of your loved one. Otherwise it's not going to work. And, but yeah, that stat, it made me sad. And then it gets me all fired up at the same time because it's like, people, let's have this conversation about what happens if you can't take care of yourself, please, somebody. Absolutely. At 43, I'm having these conversations with myself now internally. I'm in planning and what would I do? And, you know, and reading a lot about, um, dementia, what are the risks of someone to get dementia? And I know you speak with authors and people working in the field that are very knowledgeable of it, but the things that I've personally learned, whatever I can do to do my best. And I look at people like Pat Summit, the great Pat Summit from the Lady Vols and what she went through with early onset. And, you know, there's a lot of resources out there to lean to, but definitely thinking of what your plan would be, mm-hmm. because it isn't necessarily something that we see in advanced age anymore. Yeah. And it's not about just thinking internally. It's also telling your spouse, your, your children, whoever it is, what your plan is, you know, where the money is hidden, if it is hidden, you know, right. if you have a policy, you know, long-term care policy, what, mm-hmm. and what that looks like. Like I had to self-discover all those things and find out what my mom did or didn't have when it all kicked in. Luckily, you know, we got power of attorney almost immediately so that I could dig in, but it was quite shocking and eye-opening experience in the fact that there was no plan and we were not as a family prepared. So I don't wish that upon anyone. And I don't either, but absolutely right. It's not the conversation to be having at 65. It's It's the conversation to have, unfortunately, you know, at my age or even sooner is to be thinking of those types of things and what that would look like. You know, when I say internalize, like thinking of what you personally, your comfort is of what you would do. And then having that dialogue with the family Mm -hmm. uh, to know what's in place. Oh, I can't even imagine having to dig around and and yep. figure things out and yep. not have the ability to know what that person's plan or, or desires are. Yeah. 50% of people that I've interviewed and talked to, some say that there was a plan, some say that there weren't. And then, you know, there's a even smaller that were like, well, kind of, you know, like, so it could go either way, but the majority of the people were not prepared or you're just thrown into it and you're just figuring it out as you go. So that is a tough spot to be in. And the fact that we're just living longer and you're going to get something, whether it's dementia because you had a stroke or get diagnosed with whether it's some sort of other disease, you know, unfortunately, and you can't take care of yourself, then what do you do? It's, it just goes back to, you know, have that conversation about what your plan is because do you want your children or your spouse or your loved one to have to take on that responsibility when they're not ready and there's no plan. So have you had that conversation with your family already? I have to ask you that. I have, and I'm in the infancy of it because I do have one child that's school age now, but being single, it's a consideration and it's things that I think of uh, down the line. And then with my parents, my parents live in East Tennessee. And so there's been some early conversations of what that dynamic would look like if one passed before the other or if one developed dementia or if both did what that care would look like and there's more conversation to be had and that's one thing i think that we've all learned from it is to have a plan and be prepared and know what the level of investment of time someone can commit to it that's another consideration too if you have yeah. multiple family members not everybody's able to equally give yeah um, 
because of just maybe the season of life that they're in or financial limitations yeah. or where they live. You know, there's just so many different oh, things there yeah. to take into consideration. It doesn't make anybody's offering wrong that some can't give more substantially than the other, but it's a good conversation to be realistic so that if that time were to come, how would everybody step in and play? It's just like executing anything else. Yeah. Having the plans in place makes it so much more seamless, I think, when a diagnosis like this comes about. 100%. 100%. Well, good. Good for you. I'm glad you're starting that. You've had it. You're thinking about it and it's in the process and having those, even the baby conversations because it is truly important and I would just want more people to be thinking about that is my ultimate goal and hopefully get people having that conversation because it's something that is bound to happen one way or another, I feel. And if it doesn't, that's great. Awesome. You had the conversation for nothing, but still it doesn't matter. (laughs) And that's the value of podcasts like yours to help spark that conversation with people and get them thinking. So my hope and desire would be at least one person listens to this and that instigates some dialogue to have with their family and gets them thinking on that track. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you sharing your story because that's what's going to happen. So Thank you again for joining me today and sharing your full story of you and your family because it takes a village, whether it's your family that's your village or your friends, other caregivers, whatever it is, to take care of anyone that has been diagnosed with dementia. So I'm grateful that you shared your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. And to the tribe of listeners, thank you for listening. And if you know somebody who could use Laura's story, please share this episode. And if you would be so kind as to rate the podcast wherever you're listening to it. And to the caregivers listening, take care of yourself so you can continue taking care of others. And in the words of my friend, Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And then my final words go to those that have not had that conversation with their family members about the what if something happens and they can no longer care for themselves, then what? What do you do? What's your plan? Take it from a daughter with a mother who has dementia. I wish I would have had that tough conversation with her because tomorrow is promised to no one. Thank you, Laura. Thank you.